This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Neutral Zone. As you know, my name is Cam Jenkins, and I'm uh, your host for today. One last time before Brock comes back from his honeymoon, and uh, we all hope that he enjoyed that, and I'm sure he'll uh, talk a little bit about that uh, when he returns. Uh, On today's show, we're going to interview Jake Beaton, a competitor in the sport of para-powerlifting. And we're also going to bring you in on our series of interviews from the Canadian Paralympic Committee Summit, which were conducted by Brock back in March. And today we're joined by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. So without further ado, let's get into our headlines. Neutral Zone Headlines. Headlines. Nike has ended their relationship with Hockey Canada after Nike initially put their partnership on hold in October of 2022. The iconic Nike swoosh has been a staple of the Team Canada uniform since 1999. The FIFA Women's World Cup began on Thursday. Canada played a game against Nigeria and tied at zero. Their next match will be against Ireland on July 26th, followed by a game against Australia on July 31st. I, for one, am interested to see how Canada will do in this tournament. They are projected to win it as the Olympic champion. However, with the likes of Janine Becky out with injury, Christine Sinclair now being 40, and with Stephanie LaBay having retired, it'll be interesting to see how the squad does. Wow, I didn't know Christine Sinclair was 40 years old and she's still the best soccer player in Canada. Alex Galanchuk has entered the NHL and NHLPA Players Assistance Program. This comes days after his team, the Phoenix Coyotes, bought out the player's contract that he signed a few days before. Galchenyuk was involved in a private property hit and run last week and was charged with disorderly contact failure to obey, resisting arrest, and threatening or intimidating. A spokesperson said the hit-and-run was only property damage and no injuries occurred. Upon his arrest, he was belligerent with officers and at one point claimed that with one phone call he could have the officers and their families killed. Um, I did not know this side of uh, Alex Galchenyuk and I'm um, shocked Uh, that uh, he um, conducted himself the way that he did, and I hope that he gets the uh, help that he needs. The World Para-Athletic Championships have come to an end, and Canada finished with 14 medals, two gold, seven silver, and five bronze. This is Canada's best showing since 2013. Some notable highlights was Renee Fossell bringing home silver in the T38 discus throw. Renee took home bronze last world championships and finished fourth at the Tokyo Paralympics. Brent Lakatis took home multiple medals on the track, most notably breaking the world championship record in the T53 800 meter. This is fantastic momentum for Team Canada heading into Paris 2024. 
And with that, those are your headlines for this week. And instead of a chat about one of our headlines that we usually do, uh, we wanted to tell you a little bit about the sport of para powerlifting ahead of our interview with para powerlifter Jake Beaton. So Josh, why don't you start us off? Sure, Cam. Powerlifting is one of the Paralympic movement's fastest growing sports in terms of participants and is now practiced in nearly 100 countries. The sport represents the ultimate test of upper body strength, with athletes competing in the bench press discipline. Competitors must lower the bar to their chest, hold it motionless on the chest, and then press it upwards to arm's length with locked elbows. Athletes are given three attempts, and the winner is the athlete who lifts the highest number of kilograms. Such is the strength of athletes competing in this sport, this is not uncommon to see a competitor lift more than three times their body weight. Wow. And it is open to male and female athletes with eight eligible physical impairments. Athletes compete in one sport class across 10 different weight categories per gender. Uh, Major competitions include the Paralympic Games, which take place every four years, the Biennial World Championships, the Triennial Regional Championships, and the annual World Cup and Grand Prix events. The competitive categories for men are 49 kilo, 54 kilo, 59 kilo, 65 kilo, 72 kilo, 80 kilo, 88 kilo, 97 kilo, 107 kilo, and plus 107 kilo divisions. Women compete in the 41-kilo class, the 45-kilo class, the 50, 55, 61, 67, 73, 79, 86, and plus 86-kilogram divisions. As noted before, athletes in powerlifting uh, raise the bar to a locked elbow position after pressing the bar against their chest and holding it motionless. Uh, This is also signaled from the chief referee's signal. After receiving the signal, they say start. The lifter must lower the bar to the chest and again hold it motionless. And then even equal extension of both arms with locked elbows, like I said earlier. When held motionless and controlled in this position, the audible signal is rack. This is the referee's call to give the bar its return to the rack after the bench press. Then an immediate decision shall be given by three nominated international referees through a system of white and red lights. Two or more white lights signify a good lift and two or more red lifts reflect an incomplete lift. Each athlete has three attempts and upon discretion of the jury, a fourth attempt may be allowed to achieve a new world record. But this attempt does not count towards the final competition results. And with that, you have a little background information uh, in regards to para powerlifting. And then coming up after the break, we're going to be speaking with Jake Beaton. He's a para powerlifter from North Bay, Ontario, and he'll be talking to us about his career, how he got into the sport, and what training looks like, and finally about some of the upcoming competitions. But first. If you want to reach out to us via Twitter, here's how you can do it. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. 
First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter chat with Claire Buchanan for the neutral zone? Find her at Neutral Zone CB. And there's a swing and a chopper out to second base. Right at Claire, she picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at Jay Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this Oregon interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone. As I was saying before, I'm Cam Jenkins, your host, along with Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. And along with us now, we have uh, Jake Beaton. He's been active in sports his entire life, uh, trying any sport he could get into. He's been a para-ice hockey player that I've played against and has now turned his attention to para-power lifting. He joins us from his home in North Bay, Ontario. Jake, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Now, Jake, on the panel here, we know you mostly from your time in para-ice hockey, but for our viewers, can you tell us a bit about yourself? I grew up in North Bay. As uh, Camp said, I've played various sports my whole life. Started playing hockey when I was eight or nine years old. I was always into sports growing up in in school, whether it be baseball or any intramural sports. Uh, You mentioned uh, that you played para hockey and now you've transitioned to powerlifting. How long have you been a powerlifter, and what got you into the sport? I first started lifting when I was 14 years old. Growing up as a teenager in high school, I was always a gym rat, so it just came naturally to me to get into more power sports. And my first powerlifting experience was probably when I was 20 years old when I started college. I was in the sport conditioning program at Canadador and got into it through professors and teachers at Canadador. Now, for those of us that might not know a lot about what goes into training for powerlifting, can you tell us what your training schedule is like, maybe what a typical day looks like for you? Um, I train three to four days a week. Uh, usually, para-powerlifting is only bench press. There's no squat or deadlifts like regular powerlifting. So it's all... Uh, I bench three to four days a week, and with that, I also do certain accessory lifts depending on what day it is. Now, you've competed both at home and abroad. Can you tell us what uh, the difference is to you personally, whether you're competing on home soil or uh, away from home? When I'm in a Ontario or Canadian meets, it's more, more of a have-fun experience because it doesn't really count towards the Paralympics or international meets so while my like i only have one competitor when i compete nationally that's myself i've never competed within canada against somebody else in my own weight class so it's more about my own personal goals breaking my own personal records whereas competing internationally i'm competing against anywhere from five to 30 lifters in a weight class against myself. That's a lot of people to go up against. Do you have any favorite places that you've traveled to for powerlifting? 2018, I was in Bogota, uh, Bogota, Colombia. It was my first ever international meet. It was beautiful to see. It's an amazing experience for my first international experience competing. So with powerlifting... 
do you are you training year round and traveling year round or is there a season and what kind of traveling and competitions do you have coming up soon there's for international the way it goes is there's one mandatory media year but there isn't really season per se because I'm always training towards that one meet or towards a Canadian meet. Um, I have coming up next month, I'm going to the Canadian Powerlifting Union Western Championships in Brandon, Manitoba. Uh, just finish my sentence for me. If I can achieve blank in my powerlifting career, I'll consider it successful. As a highly competitive person, my ultimate goal is to compete at a Paralympics, preferably medal at a Paralympics. That would my next opportunity to do that would be 2028 in LA. Well, Jake, uh, we just want to thank you very much for uh, taking some time for us today to answer some questions about para powerlifting. And we want to wish you the best of luck with those upcoming competitions. Thank you. And that was Jake Beaton, para powerlifter and former para ice hockey player. He joined us today from North Bay, Ontario. And if you like what you've heard and want to leave us a voicemail, here's how you can do it. If you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now, 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail! And welcome back to the Neutral Zone. And uh, with me along for this ride is Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. And uh, we just uh, finished interviewing uh, Jake Beaton, who is a para-power para lifter and former para-ice hockey player. And uh, he came uh, from his uh, home in North Bay, Ontario. Um, Josh, let's start off with you. What did you think of the interview, and what do you think of uh, para-power lifting? I really enjoyed chatting with uh, Jake. I haven't seen him in a while, so it was, was nice to catch up with him again uh, as we... As I sort of said in the interview, my experience with Jake has been through para-ice hockey, but uh, saw that he was involved in para-powerlifting now and thought, well, we don't talk very much about that, don't know much about it, so let's get him on and uh, let's, let's find out a little bit more. So it sounds like it's it's pretty straightforward sport. It's uh, the bench press in terms of the lift involved. Uh, he, he really seems to enjoy it. He's... He's done well at it from what I've seen. Um, yeah, overall, I thought it was a great interview. Yeah, Jake is one of those names in the sledge hockey kind of world that most people know if you if you mention them. That was actually my first uh, interaction with him personally. Um, I've just been one of those people that we, we've been friends on social media and you follow him and you see that he's been doing like you said really well in powerlifting now and um i mean all the power to him and all those other athletes that do that sport power uh the bench press is one of my hardest <laughs> movements that seems to the the number on the uh on the bar seems to budge a little slower than most in, in regards to uh my lifting but um yeah, it's uh, it's exciting to see the sport grow and to hear that it's in over 100 countries now is pretty cool. And um, it's just mm -hmm. insane how much weight these athletes are pushing. And and it's yeah, it's really yes. one of those uh, sports that with classification, really anyone that opens up the uh, kind of window for 
para athletes and and have as many people involved as possible. So, yeah, I'm excited to see where he is going to go with the sport. And like he said, hopefully we see him on the podium with a medal around his neck in in LA. Yeah, it would be great to see that. And like I know uh, back in my younger days, back in the 1800s. Um, <laughs> You know, like I remember para powerlifting as well, and it was the bench press. And I remember going to, I think it was the Windsor Classic Indoor Games. I don't know if that's still around or not, but that's kind of where I remember uh, doing some para powerlifting and kind of doing that. And it was um, in, we trained in Mississauga um, at the, I guess it's the new city hall now, uh, the one that looks like a jail. I always think it looks like a jail. Um, but uh, they had a, um, uh, weightlifting center there so that's where um you know a few of us from Aaron Oak would always go one day of the week I don't know what day of the week it was but yeah that's kind of and I didn't realize that it would blossom into this sport for para-athletes that it is today that it's so many countries around the world and you get to travel and yeah it's it's so nice to see how far it's come and uh, Jake um, once again I mostly know him um, from uh, para ice hockey, um, he's probably scored on me once or twice. Who hasn't? Um, but uh, I don't really know him <laughs> as a para powerlifter. Um, but I have the same sentiments. Where absolutely, I hope that he um, is able to go to the Paralympics uh, because there's probably I've never been, but there's probably no feeling like it uh, to be able to go to the Paralympics and to be able to compete in front of the world. And if you're lucky enough to medal, um, all the luck to him. And he's put a lot of dedication into it. And I hope that he uh, is really able to do that. So. Um, let's kind of get into the uh, next portion of the program. Um, we're going to bring you another in our series of interviews conducted by Brock Richardson at the Canadian Paralympic Committee Summit, and those were back in March. And today's interview will be with paracyclist Nathan Clement. Nathan lives and trains in West Vancouver, BC, and we hope you enjoy the interview as much as we did. Nathan, let's, uh, before we delve into paracycling, I understand that you uh, won a bronze medal in the 50-meter butterfly at the Toronto 2015 Para Pan Am Games. Can we start there and what that was like? Oh, wow. The uh, winning a bronze in front of home soil in, in Toronto, having family there and being at an incredible facility that the Toronto Pan Am Centre was, was one of the biggest honors, but also just an opportunity of redemption after a few years of struggling, not making a team in 2013, uh, falling apart in a finals in 2014 at the Pan Pacific Championships, and then coming into Pan Ams, the goal was to get on the podium and to squeak it out, to get on the podium, at the wall on the finish was a moment that I will always hold to my heart and just seeing the emotion, seeing the celebration of my parents in the crowd, seeing them realize that we, we won a bronze is something that I'll never forget. Yeah, I think people don't really understand until they experience it, what it is like winning on home soil and it doesn't matter whether it's in your home province or just in your country it's just that feeling of I had family I, I had 
friends, I had everybody around me. Um, it sounds to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds to me like you had a moment of, did this actually happen to me? Did I actually get a bronze medal at home at the Parapan Am Games? Am I right in hearing that in your voice? It, it was, yeah. It was a moment of hitting that wall, looking up at the clock, having and looking up at the scoreboard, having to do a double take just to make sure that was the right number beside uh, my name, seeing a three there. And then it was the next 15 seconds after that was an absolute blur to me. I think I grabbed my teammate in the lane beside me and just lost my mind because he won the silver, Jean-Michel Lavillet. Uh, he won the silver, so him and I were celebrating together. And then as I got out of the pool and I went into the, uh, the back room to do testing with our sports science team, it didn't really sink in till Shane Isu, who was one of our, uh, sport, uh, our sports science uh, specialists, pretty well said, Nathan, you just won a bronze. And the, and the emotions really took over in that second. And it was, it was something truly special. But having that crowd there, the crowd was loud every single night at that pool. And it was really special to see for myself, but also to see for so many of my teammates get up there, get on the podium, whether it's gold, silver, or bronze, and get to hear that roar from the crowd when their name was called. So you obviously at some point made a decision to go from swimming to paracycling. Uh, can you talk me through when that was and how you you know, made the transition? Back in uh, 2018, I, um, I decided to step away from paraswimming and as I was stepping away from the sport, I'd always wanted to travel to explore different countries and go backpacking because of being a high performance athlete and training for so many years. I pretty well turned it into a full year round job where I couldn't have that time to relax and sit back. And as I started traveling, I was seeing all these great countries, all these rich, diverse cultures. And something for me when I was a swimmer, I would always ride my bike, cycle as kind of my decompressor sport, kind of something I would love to do with friends or even just go by myself riding around Vancouver. So as I was traveling from country to country to country, I kept thinking to myself, how cool would it be to see all of these spots by bicycle, by bike. And as I finished my trip around the world, I came back home and started to train and but also save up money for the opportunity to do a world ride. But as I was getting to the full swings of training, COVID came and kind of switched everything up because you couldn't travel at that time. And in the midst of all that, I needed to see if I could do 10, 11, two, two weeks on the bike, let alone the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of days that a world ride 
would take on. And as summer came in 2020, my dad, my dog, and I decided to go on a uh, bike packing trip from Fernie, BC, right along the BC Alberta border to Vancouver. And as I was going through that ride, going through that trip, just that burning fire of competing, of racing, just really started to set back in. And I just wanted to give it a go. I wanted to give competing another go. That's awesome. And I love that. You did a thousand kilometer ride and the I, I'm going to just be fully transparent while doing this interview. We have had all these athletes come today as we're doing this interview. And the first thing I said to you was mad respect for doing a thousand kilometer ride we've never met before and so can you can you walk me through that decision where it's like yeah I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this very well and for the right reasons of raising awareness of parasports yeah uh, a, a major part of my life growing up is as someone who has dystonia and has limited functionality of my left uh, my left leg my left arm and the left side of my body I've always been put in a category of, oh, it's great that you're doing this. Yeah, you finished, woohoo. And celebrating the fact that I am a person with a disability, but not an athlete at the end of the day. And one thing that that bike ride did, but also what I want to do and why I did the Bike Across BC is showing what can you do as someone with dystonia, with various different uh, conditions and diverse abilities when you push yourself to your maximum, when you go out there, you have a dream, you have a goal, and you put the time in to just dig deep and find a way through it. And that's something everyone has. Everyone has their dreams, but to really reach them, you have to find that next level. And I feel and there's so many great athletes that are really leading the way and showing what can be done as a athlete and as an athlete with a disability. And I wanted to really showcase what is possible when you push yourself to the max. I think the biggest thing when we are individuals with disabilities is that people think we've accomplished something by just simply getting up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not enough to say you got up, you did something. Yeah. You you did that. Good for you. Congratulations. And the words and the fight that you have to say to say, no, I'm doing something and I often go by the motto of actions speak louder than words. Yeah. Is that where it was for you, where you're like, listen, I've said my words for years and years and years, and I need to do the action? I, I value them both, action and words. They can be powerful together. Where I, being on a tricycle bike now, I get so many conversations as I'm out for rides or even stop at a light where I have someone going up to me saying, what's that? Why are you on that? What's the purpose of that? And just educating people on a different world that they may not be used to and familiar with. And something 
for me, especially when I was a swimmer back in the day, there is a part of casual swimming culture where you have para-athletes at different competitions and they're going up against, I'm, I'm going to use the term able-bodied athletes. And um, as you finish the race, like there's been a couple of times where I was a 50-meter butterflyer, so I was a sprinter. And I'm going up against other athletes who may finish the race in like 30 seconds, 31 seconds, and I come into the wall at 36, 37 seconds. And as I'm touching the wall, I get claps. People are clapping for me just because I finished the race. And as an athlete and after having a terrible race, after having a race you're not happy with, that can be very demeaning and it can be almost more humiliating than losing to someone by four or five seconds. I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I, you know, competed in bocce for a number of years and people didn't know what a good shot was. So if you were within X number of inches from the jack ball, it didn't matter that the opponent sitting right next to you could literally see the entire jack and you're like, you're cheering because why? Because you're just, and I, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but it's just not educated enough in para sports that you don't know what it is you're watching. And people aren't doing it to be annoying, to be debilitating, but they, it, it comes out where it's like, oh, here we go again. And so I, I respect big time the action that you're talking about of, look, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this to show it to you. And then you can applaud and say, good for you, you did it. Because that's the reward you want. You want the reward for good for you, you did it, and not good for you, you got up, finished the race in last place. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing at the end of the day is, we're in a place right now where the Paralympic movement's growing and it's growing at a speed of 15, 20 years ago, it was a completely different world, let alone 30 years ago. And we've had so many great athletes in the past really trailblaze for us to be where we are now, where we have the opportunities to have media summits, where we have the opportunities to have sponsorship with major corporate brands and just growing with like the opportunities with CBC. But there's so many other steps that need to be taken. And as our role as athletes in this moment, it's important to have those conversations with people who may not be adverse into the para world and introduce them in there so we can help those next generations be seen as high-performance athletes in the first place. Where do you see, right now, Paralympians don't receive funding as we record this today. I hope that we are gonna change this. And what I mean by funding is they don't receive funding for medals. And do you see that as being the biggest misstep that we need to accomplish? Or is there something else that you feel we need to do? I. I feel with medals, with representation in media, with um, opportunities of competitions and just development of the sports in many parts of the world and even here when it comes to funding, let alone being medals or just yearly earnings for athletes they all go hand in hand together. And 
I feel the direction we're going, the work that is being done at this time is really going to set up that conversation. Like I would not be surprised and and I hope this is the case in the next games or two that medal earnings will um, will be given to para athletes. I did I did a story. I actually uh, did some work with AMI uh, last year as a freelance editor. And I covered a story on a para, Paralympic athlete that had to retire due to, due to lack of funding. And it's quite challenging. It's quite difficult for athletes to be in put in positions like that where equipment is so expensive, where let alone my bike. I'm very fortunate I have an incredible supportive team with Cycling Canada, but if I had to pay for my bike on my own, I would not be here today. I would not be able to have this conversation because that would put me so far in debt and in the red. But there's aspects of getting accessible training equipment that is so important to athletes and programs with the Canadian Paralympic Committee and other programs that are going on right now are leading that right way where we can have funding for medal earnings, where we can have greater yearly funding for athletes so they don't have to work three, four jobs dependent on what they're doing. And just giving athletes the opportunities to really focus on sport and then reach their peak. Where do you see yourself? You know, we're a couple of years away from Paris 2024. Where do you see yourself there and what do you hope to accomplish? It's, it's been quite the athletic journey coming back into cycling. And I would love more than anything else to one, be in Paris, and two, be in contention for a medal. I, I, want, to, I want it to come down to the line in Paris for a medal. I'm, and that's, that's what I want, and that's what my training is. I want, to, I want to be able to have an opportunity to stand on that podium. What sets paracycling apart from every other sport? I've had a very unique journey where I was a para-soccer player, became a para-swimmer, and now I'm a para-cyclist, where soccer is, at least in my own journey, is very much a team game. And in swimming, I was racing 50 meters. That was it. Now I'm getting up on the bike, going 20K time trials, going 30, 40k road races where you are pushing your body to its limit for 30 40 50 an hour long and just trying to be at your best while being in the red the whole time and one of the biggest differences i find is just the opportunity training as well just to be outside to be outdoors and be in surroundings and one thing I love like soccer is such a great community in Vancouver same as swimming but there's been nothing like the cycling culture there's been nothing like just being able to meet so many great people and have so many amazing conversations on my ride for training out in Vancouver where they see the trade and they want to learn more they want to understand the story of not just myself but other para-athletes too and I feel it's something so so unique where you're able to ride 40, 50, 60, 100 plus K a day and 
along those rides, you're running into multiple different people. You're having multiple different conversations and you're really learning about their world, but you're also sharing about yours too. It really is a community in the para-sports world, and I think that that's one of the most underrated things that we don't talk about. It doesn't matter what sport you play or what you do, it, it really is a community. Nathan, we really appreciate you doing this interview. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll have to have you back on again soon. Thank you very much for having me. And that was our very own Brock Richardson speaking to Nathan Clement, a para-cyclist from West Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, now, with the last little uh, part of the program, I thought, uh, you know, we'll talk about Nathan Clement. And um, a lot of people might not know that uh, he was also in para-swimming, uh, which he retired in 2018. And then he went to para-cycling in 2020. Um, Claire, maybe we'll start with you. I know you've been a two-sport athlete before. Um, now, with Nathan, it wasn't at the same time. He did it at two different times. But can you maybe talk about what it takes uh, to kind of go from one high-performance uh, para-sport to another high-performance para-sport? I mean, just talking about the longevity of being an athlete itself, it's... Uh... It's tiring. Um, you, it takes you got. It's you're constantly putting energy into it, whether it's resting or actually being active to train. So it's and yes, there is a difference a little bit with uh, playing two sports at the same time rather than playing one and switching to another. But at that level, when you're in sports and in being on the international stage in those sports, it's I think your like your routines and your habits, I don't think that they would change very much. Uh, you're still making sure that you're uh, fueling your body properly and getting enough rest and, and using the support that you have around you. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think that you're, it doesn't create a different mindset. It's just being able to, you're probably putting a lot more time into prehab and kind of preventative maintenance when you're trying to extend your athletic career into another sport because uh, I mean we you can't freeze time you're getting older and you're getting <laughs> yeah you're getting stronger at the same time <laughs> father time gets you no matter what father time father time is always uh creeping up behind you so um it's it's impressive when athletes can do that and I um give all the uh, power and uh, like gratitude towards them because they uh, they just uh, they're consistent and, and it shows. Yeah. And Josh, how about you? Like, I know that uh, you do play para ice hockey and then you're also throw right. as well. Uh, what's your perspective on, um, you know, competing in two sports? Well, certainly I was lucky in that my sports were not necessarily offered side by side. So I didn't have to try to juggle them both. Because um, I can honestly tell you I couldn't. <laughs> I just I would find that far too much, uh, far too much work. Um, I love my sports, but I'm I'm definitely a recreational athlete, shall we say? Um, but to, that's to, okay. I was too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had many a good time together. Let's see. Um, in terms of just being able to manage two high performance sports i think it's very impressive i don't know how you 
get out of the pool one day and decide, oh, I, I think I'm going to go try cycling. That just that, that wouldn't have been my my first thing that I would jump to. But uh, yeah, for me, it was just it, it was just a matter of one was cross training for the other. Like hockey kept me in sh- somewhat shape to go and throw, and then throwing kept me active in the summertime when I wasn't on the ice. So it just it balanced itself out quite nicely for me. Yeah, and. Like as far as uh, Nathan goes, um, he's doing para swimming now, uh, but before he did paracycling. So, uh, have you either of you seen paracycling before? Do you have any comments on um, him and what he accomplished in paracycling, Josh? Maybe we'll start with you. I, yeah, I think it was actually reverse. I think he did the swimming first and then the cycling, oh, which is Sorry, which did. is totally cool. Yeah, yep, no problem. Um, I've seen. A little bit of paracycling, not very much, and most of it is is like tandem track cycling with with visual impairment. So I can't really speak very much to to what uh, he's done on the uh, on the track as a cyclist. Um, I did notice in his bio that he he was a, a tricyclist, which I assume means that his bike had two back wheels rather than just the one, probably for stability. Uh, I see he's a T1 um, classification. Uh, so I would suspect that that has something to do with, with limb impairment, but I, I should know, but I don't. Uh, but yeah, just seeing some of the things he's he's done in cycling compared and and added on to what he did as a swimmer with his bronze medal in the para pan am games and the the accomplishments he's had is really quite remarkable yeah absolutely and i just i'm kind of in awe of his career uh, because he was able to do paracycling and paraswimming at such a high level and to be able to do it in two different sports like i said i'm just in awe that he's able to accomplish something like that and um, you know, uh, cycling, if, uh, and I'm not kind of sure what cycle he was using, but if it was one that used uh, his hands to be able to propel the bike um, and then para swimming, um, that is a lot of upper arm strength, uh, which is, you know, really good to be able to use that upper arm strength to be able to compete in uh, both areas. Um, so, yeah, I'm just uh, really uh, in awe of him and what he's accomplished. And um, Claire, uh, do you have any? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, I think when you see athletes like that, you, you kind of get a sense that they are just natural athletes. Like they were kind of sport is kind of a perfect fit for them. And they just kind of flourish when they, they try out new sports and it's, it's also cool that like it, it shows that he just has a passion for sport and being active when um, his uh, what ignited him to even get into paracycling was that he did a thousand kilometer bike trail that inspired him to try it out. So it's just things like that, that they're just like, <laughs> I'm just I don't know. Do a thousand I don't think I would ever. That kind of inspires I, <laughs> me to do that. Story. I don't think I would ever wait, have a, a morning where I wake up and say, Hey, I think I'm going to go push for a thousand kilometers. And it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's special when you see stuff like that. And thinking back, like with a situation like Tyler McGregor doing the Terry Fox 
the skate or run every every year to raise money and it's just it's it's wild what the body can do and <laughs> uh it, yeah and it just goes back to that of that he's just got the knack for it and the the passion for it and he's it's treating him really well yeah it does kind of feel like he might be the type that if he hadn't found cycling he'd have found something else yeah he wouldn't be just doing he wouldn't be retired no, no. <laughs> Definitely not a couch potato. (laughs) And I think with a lot of para-athletes, it's good that they end up doing something else because as we've seen countless number of times, once they're done their career, um, it's very hard for them to, um, you know, they fall into a post-depression because they don't have, and we've talked about this before, they don't have the uh, glare of the lights and the crowd uh, screaming their names and so on and so forth. And um, it would be really interesting to find out what percentage of uh, athletes uh, end up going through that post-depression and how hard it is to kind of come out of that uh, to be able to, um, for lack of a better way to say it, uh, to function. Um, because you're sometimes you're back in the you know the real world and you might have to work or whatever the case is or sometimes it's a matter of then you you know uh, you you coach because if you can't play anymore then you coach so you know kind of what are your thoughts Claire on uh, you know when a person comes to that point in their career where they're done um, and they've got to kind of move forward yeah it's tough uh, when you go from such being at the international level, especially, and you're constant, every day is dedicated to this one goal and this one sport. And, uh, when it, you wake up and you no longer have that routine and that, like, you always know what your next day and kind of what your schedule looks like. It's kind of laid out for you when you're competing at that level. Um, everything's laid out for you. You just got to do it. And, uh, so it's, it's tough to go to a routine that you have to recreate yourself. And then you're trying to find out what you like outside of sport. And so it's, it's natural for athletes to stay in sport. And, um, I am a example of that myself. I am working in sport and I, I'm looking to get back into playing recreational wheelchair basketball just because I love sport. I'm not not trying to do anything highly competitive with it or anything. Just we we enjoy playing sports and that's just naturally what we kind of fall back on to. And it's it's like that. It's those situations where you find athletes like Alana Nichols from the United States where she won gold in wheelchair basketball and then uh, went and medaled numerous times in downhill skiing. And now she's surfing and winning medals and staying on the podium there. So it's it's just, uh, I guess, in our nature and it just becomes a part of you that um, sport just you can't really fully detach from it. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think you want to either. No. Tatiana McFadden's another one. She was a racer for years and then she's gotten into I think she got into skiing as well now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Again, did just as well at skiing and you just kind of look at them and go, OK, is there anything you can't do? Like really, come on! Now. <laughs> yeah, like like you almost want me like okay, leave, show leave off. some medals right. for the rest of us. Like, come on here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's really really impressive uh, when you when you see things like that. And 
I mean, even even for yourself, Claire, you've mentioned before that you're at a stage where Dash is uh, is getting ready to to play sports, and you want to introduce him to some of your sports. So that's got to be something else to, to yeah, keep in exactly. Mind. And it's it's cool that it hasn't been like uh like I'm not pushing him into sports, or it's not like a hey I'm doing this, so you're gonna do it too yeah. kind of thing. And he's just naturally loves being in the atmosphere and and wants to get on the ice and try it out so yeah. uh yeah it's, it's exciting and um who knows who knows what'll happen right exactly <laughs> exactly yeah like it must be the hardest thing to know that you're at the end of your career and i think some people really rage against the machine <laughs> uh to be able to say that they're at the end of their career um like i can't, can't even imagine what that's like. Like, um, just from a casual sporting, um, my experience um, is, you know, from playing pair ice hockey, but mine was more an injury because of my carpal tunnel. Um, so my decision was made for me. And, you know, at first it's kind of hard, but then you kind of get used to it and it's enjoyable just kind of waking up late on a Saturday <laughs> and don't have to go to practice or, um, you know, just going and kind of watching and not having to play to have that pressure. But uh, everyone's different and some people love that pressure and love to be able to um, keep doing it. And yeah, like for me, it was just a nice transition of, okay, um, my wrists are really hurting me. It's not worth it to play paradise hockey anymore. Um, so I'm going to ease into retirement. No problem whatsoever. <laughs> and that's from casual paradise hockey. That's not from like competitive, competitive right. uh, competition. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. For me, I ended up sitting out a, a season of paradise hockey because of a shoulder injury. And I've I was a trooper. I went and I supported my team and I sat up in the stands going, this is driving me crazy. <laughs> I just, I couldn't stand not being on the ice. It's like, why, why can't you see this play coming? Like, come on. <laughs> and it's so much easier when you're in the stands, uh, no matter what sport it is. If you're in the stands, you see it from a different perspective oh, absolutely. that other people don't see it compared to on the ice. So it's so easy oh, yeah. to play the armchair coach, mm -hmm. I guess, or armchair quarterback, whatever, whatever you want, you want to call it. call it, to be able to say, oh, yeah, you know, you should have gotten this person, you should have gotten that person, or you should have, you like, run the goalie. <laughs> yeah, how did you not see he was well, coming down? You don't yeah. want to run no, the goalie. No, I'm the goalie. Please, please, don't, don't run me. We don't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> well that's why that's why coaches have coaching jobs and athletes are athletes right yeah. they they have a different perspective you do your part i'll do mine and mm -hmm. don't take the criticism personally yeah <laughs> i guess at the end of the day yeah that's well i'm at the end of the day Josh will not be retiring from <laughs> para ice hockey or will not be, uh, you know, retiring from uh, throwing. And Claire is on the Canadian national women's hockey team. So I don't see you in your future. I'm getting my crystal ball out now. And I don't see you uh, retiring anytime soon either. Uh, and 2030 seems so far away, but I, I am going to try seven my best. Years, seven years. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> Stay in one Seven piece. Years. It'll it'll go by no problem yeah. whatsoever. So there you go. Saying that though, uh, I think I'm. We are going to retire this episode of the Neutral Zone, and I'd like to thank Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson for being on the show today. 
Our technical producer for this week is Mark Aflalo. And our producer and regular host of the program that's going to be back next week from his honeymoon is Brock Richardson. I'm Cam Jenkins, and I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Bye.